Greg was in the kitchen filming and I was waiting for that final dish to be brought in because we were doing the whole like overhead setup. And uh, but Molly and Mike made us breakfast sandwiches. It was just a homemade biscuit with an egg and we ate it before we start shooting and it was probably the best breakfast sandwich I've ever had. Hello and welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento, where we take you behind the scenes and introduce you to some of the people making your favorite dining experiences happen, or in today's case, take you behind the scenes of people who are taking you behind the scenes of people who are making your favorite dining experiences happen. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm your host, Max Connor, joined as always by my co-host, Neil Little. Neil, how's your sense of smell? What's going on with your nose? How's your headache? You had some <sighs> interesting things going on the last 24 hours. It, it has been, a, it, it was a long weekend. For those of you that don't know, big dog person, I have two of them, love them very much, except for one of them right now. My youngest dog happened to get in a fight with a skunk the other oh, night. Oh, no. So we all know how that goes. Dogs do not win those situations. So I've spent the past 24 hours on multiple baths for my dog. And unfortunately, I missed the premiere of Breaking Bread last night. But my excitement for it is still an all-time high. I think what these guys are doing are so cool and so awesome. And they're really doing the visual side of what Max and I are trying to do. Don't you think so, Max? Yeah, so I got to go to the premiere last night at the Crest Theater. They showed the first three episodes of Breaking Bread. If you're listening to this and you don't know what Breaking Bread is, it's a limited series documentary about food and farms in Sacramento. And it's going to air on KCRA 3 Live. And then you'll also be able to see it on the Very Local app, which is an app you can download. You can download it on your streaming stick, your Fire Stick, your Roku, whatever it may be, and watch it on your big TV. You can also download it on your phone. Watch this on your big TV because the cinematography of this show is absolutely stunning. If you've ever watched an episode of Chef Table on Netflix, it is that level of production and cinematography. The storytelling is amazing. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It is absolutely phenomenal. And much like it celebrates the amazing food that is coming out of Sacramento, it's also a celebration of this media company, Moonracer Films, and the work they're doing here in Sacramento. It is spectacular. I can't speak highly enough about it. I am so excited about this. I heard rumors about this floating around for the past couple of years and never really knew what was going on until the last couple of months when the promotions have been coming out. I definitely encourage everyone to watch these episodes. It is so cool. and just gives you such an intimate behind the scenes on how much work goes into what's coming out on your plate. And so we wanted to give you a behind the scenes of how the show was made. So we reached out to Moonracer Films and we had the pleasure of sitting down with Greg Gearhart and Victor Mihalchek. They are two of the three man team that really conceived this project at Moonracer Films. And they're both directors of photography on the project. They were intimately involved with every step of it. And they give us an amazing behind the scenes as to how all this came together and how they made it happen. It's a really fun conversation. They were great guys. So with that, let's bring you our conversation with Victor and Greg from Moonracer Films. Well, Greg Gearhart, Victor Mihalchek, thank you so much for being here on the Dine One Six. It's really a pleasure to have you guys. Thank you for having us, man. Same. We are, I am, over the moon, pun intended, because these guys are with Moonracer Films, uh, to talk to you guys about Breaking Bread. Look. Like, I gotta and throw we're some, off. We're starting with dad jokes, right? That's, that's where we gotta go. I was at the premiere last night for Breaking Bread. I had seen the trailer. I had high expectations, and they were 
exceeded, wildly exceeded. I mentioned to you guys last night that I'm a big fan of Chef's Table, which is certainly, you know, a high-level food documentary, obviously, and you guys hit that level of mark, in my opinion. It was absolutely stunning and gorgeous and funny and full of tears. I mean, it had everything you would want, so you guys absolutely smashed it from my standpoint and cannot wait to talk to you about it, so thanks for being here. Thank you for Thank having you. us, man, and appreciate the kind words. First, tell us who each of you are, what your guys' positions are at Moonracer Films, and then tell us a little bit about how Moonracer got started and, and what you guys do beyond breaking bread. My name is Greg Gearhart, and I'm one of the DPs at Moonracer Films. My name is Victor Mihalchuk. I'm the lead DP at Moonracer Films. And DP's director of photography. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I'll go first. Yeah. Moonracer was birthed out of uh, agency world. Uh, if you guys heard, there's an agency called Misfit in Sacramento. They've mm-hmm. been kind of running the show for a while. Uh, David Flanagan is the the owner and Matt Colbert. And so it got to the point where, as we all know, video kind of took over the industry and everybody needed a video or one at one. And, and so Moonracer was kind of birthed out of that need to just kind of create a company that focuses on video only. And so we came to the ownership and said, hey, let's kind of create this a separate sister company that will focus on video only because sometimes people just want to hire a video production company. And so mm-hmm. that's where Moonracer was birthed. We've existed for a while. I mean, Almost five years. Almost wow. five years as a Moonracer. So I started back in the agency misfit world as kind of a, the, the video guy that started the internal team in the company. And we've been doing same work we're doing today, which is most of it comes from like 30 second commercial, 60 second commercial, 15 second commercials. So mm-hmm. we do a lot of commercial work day to day in everything from the concept, letting the idea birth and then into execution and post-production as well, as well as delivery too on the media side. So as far as my background, I, based on my last name, moved here from another country. When I was 15, I moved from uh, Latvia, which is a little Baltic country. Mm-hmm. My family moved all of us to United States. And so Sacramento has been my home for, uh, if I remember how old I am, it's probably been 18 years now. So yeah, representing 916 yeah. For, for a while now. So yeah, it started my thing as I think most of video guys, you know, in the wedding okay. video business. Yeah, uh, we've, we've all done that, been there. So that was kind of my light bulb moments. Like, oh, I can make cool stuff and, you know, people like it and I get comments, positive feedback. I was like, hey, you know, I'll stick with this. And then you got to the point where it just got ooh, tiring, you know, you're doing the same thing every single weekend and then you edit during the week. I mean, I had awesome experience there. That's what taught me to hate that word, but to hustle mm-hmm. and, uh, and really, you know, work and be productive and efficient with your time. And then the opportunity came to join the Misfit team and now the Moonracer team. And it's been a cool experience. And obviously last night was so far the highest point for me just to see this whole thing that we've been working on for the past three years, four years, kind of come to this epic crescendo, which mm-hmm. is not really the end because the show will still be aired and all yeah. that stuff. But to see an immediate reaction to the work was kind of awesome. So yeah. And then at some point we added Greg to the team and which was a very positive addition. So take it away. Yeah, so in 2018, I moved to Sacramento from the Central Coast and on San Luis Obispo. I had been living there for a couple of years after a stint in Arizona, finished college there, worked in agencies. And when I was in San Luis Obispo, I got back into video work. 
and I was looking for a full-time job because healthcare sounded great. <laughs> and I came across Misfit on the internet and I sent an email to like the info at agencymisfit.com email address. And I said, here's my reel. Here's what I'm doing. Are you guys hiring? And to my shock and surprise, our boss, Matt Colbert, responded and said, hey, call me tomorrow. We'll talk. Talked to him for two and a half hours. And that led to a meeting with Victor. And then three months later, I was in their office editing and we've been off to the races since. It was right about when Moon Racer started that I started. Wow. What was the first project you two worked together on? We worked on a Chevron content piece. Social media campaign. Yeah. Somewhere in Southern California mm-hmm. that we worked on. Yeah. It was an interesting project, but yeah. Yep. So. There are definitely some <laughs> memories coming back through yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, your eyes. It's, it's like dog years because, you know, production is such a weird thing where days 10, 12, 13 hours sometimes and post-production is even longer and so on and so forth. So every project could be a day or four years long. They mm-hmm. feel long. So yeah. Yeah. thinking back to 2018, I feel like I was a young man. Right. Where yeah, right. The last four years have counted. Yeah, definitely dog years. Yeah, yeah. Right. So where did the idea for Breaking Bread come from? So uh, the idea came from our director, Cameron Tyler, who is the third leg of Moon Racer when it started, Victor and myself. We it were, was one of those shoots that we were on yeah. where you, you hit that 3 o'clock break where you need that coffee. So we went out and got some lunch and coffee, and we are just chatting away about how amazing food industry is in Sacramento. And it's like, why don't we film this? Yeah, we, we, were, we were daydreaming. Like, what kind of work do we want to be doing? What's the pie-in-the-sky idea that we, you know, what can we do to make ourselves known, to tell a cool story? And I think the three of us all really like telling stories. We all have different perspectives on the industry and different ideas and different wants and desires and all those kinds of things. And it was really like, this is cool. We could do something here. There's something about this city, this place, these people that has us coming back. Why don't we do something with it? And so we started pitching ideas to each other and having conversations. And over a few months to a year, that led to us pitching ideas to our bosses, our executive team. And they were really receptive to it. To their credit, they were all on board pretty much from day one. And that led to meetings with Visit Sacramento and Mike Testa. Patrick Mulvaney was Patrick there too. Mulvaney. Yeah. And immediately, they all got it. They understood. They knew what we were trying to do. They saw the vision. They felt what we were trying to do. So, Yeah. I think in general, just working with Moonracer team and the leadership team, they would always give us a green light to just about anything. You know, mm. it's that's the beauty of, you know, our companies that like, hey, if you have an idea... Let's find a way to execute it. And Breaking Bread were just all pieces were aligned and it was the right time, the right place. And the doors just got open and we went through it. Yeah. How did you guys then create the vision for it and create the cinematography? I mean, the cinematography, look, I'm not a film buff. I've taken one film class at community college, right? I don't know about how to, I've done, I know how to edit video, but when it comes to like setting up shots, blocking, anything like that, how did you guys develop the style for it and continue to develop your skills to build something that's this expansive with huge I mean you've got beautiful shots of the landscape in Sacramento and overhead drone shots of the farms and then really good close-up shots of people cooking and food all those are different sort of styles of shooting cinematography so how did you develop and put that together you know it's been years in the making so you know where we started and you know there were a couple pickup shots that were done years later and even even this year we had to pick up a couple shots to add to the edit but I think 
originally it was, remind me, we didn't really think about episodes. I think it was originally just like this one piece talking about, you know, the culinary scene. And then when I approached this idea, I have never worked in restaurants, so I, I just like food. Yeah. <laughs> I like to eat it. And to me, I was always fascinated by this idea of like a journey of an ingredient from literally the ground to your plate. Every time I get a plate in front of me, it's like, hmm, I wonder where it came from. It would be nice to kind of film this whole idea. So that's where I kind of invested my idea into the breaking bread. But as far as cinematography, I mean, obviously we've been doing this. So we've developed an eye and, and you know, you know, Greg has his approach to cinematography. I have my approach to cinematography, but I feel like this one is, was very, um, it kind of developed as we went. First of all, <laughs> the idea came to us and we created a plan in 2019 and then p- pandemic 2020 hit. Yeah. So things got shifted quite a bit and you heard, you know, Brad talking about it last night off the stage that it was just like, we just had to do it. And, you know, it was a very, very small team because we couldn't bring a full production. It was very limited gear that was available to us. So we had to keep it very small and nimble as we traveled from restaurants to restaurants, from farms to farms. And so on some scenes, we didn't have time to scout it. We just showed up on the farm. It's like, mm, all right. Wow. So as you film interviews, you're kind of looking around. It's like, okay, I like that direction, that field right there. The one that comes to mind is the one of Oliver, that mm-hmm. you know, epic shot of him kind of walking to the distance. It was literally, we were filming another scene and then I'm looking down these aisles. I was like, oh, I need to put him down there and I need him to walk <laughs> as far as we can. And then he turned around and he bent down to like reach something. I was like, oh, that's it. That's oh. the shot. So it was kind of happening as we went, which we can talk about it for hours. Just, yeah, to, just sure. the behind the scenes of everything. But I think it was developed and we were talking about it the other day, like even at the round tables, you know, we had, those were long days. <laughs> we were filming those round table discussions. And as we went, like every day we would, in our heads, like, oh, let's try this shot. So like it progressed. Yeah, so the roundtable conversations, you know, we would do two a day, and it was four-hour blocks, and we'd film, like, start rolling cameras and shoot for almost two hours, and these chefs would talk, and we'd take a break, transfer footage, we'd stretch, breathe, you know, all those things, Mm -hmm. come back, two more hours, take a break, reset the room, and have another four chefs in for another four hours. And what Victor just said, you know, the first table that we filmed I think we were all kind of nervous because this is such a big thing that we're trying to do and, and we're so focused on trying to get this thing done. I think we were maybe a little hesitant. And by the eighth one, or sixth one rather, we were trying all kinds of weird stuff, making it look as interesting as we can, trying to reframe how we're showing these people in this room and what it looks like and camera moves and zooms and pans and all these kinds of things to try and make it as interesting as possible for somebody watching it. We would land at a restaurant, unload what gear we had, minimal amounts of gear, Victor and I would go talk through a plan. We'd go, we're going to shoot a plate here, a plate here, a plate here. Obviously, we'll do cooking in the kitchen, throw up a few lights, and we were off to the races. And it was like that pretty much everywhere. And to the chef's credit, they were all so welcoming to us, mm-hmm. you know, kind of gave us free reign of their spaces. And, I mean, it was during the pandemic, and so places were typically closed. Yeah. but they Which were... allowed us to do some things that we probably wouldn't be able to do. Exactly. It was full and packed and fully in motion, so that was nice. Right, right. But, yeah, they were all so welcoming and so nice and kind. And, you know, they fed us everything that they cooked for us. We got to try. You know, it was a a special time. So how did you choose who got to be on the show? What was that process like? Because there are a lot of incredible chefs in this town. And it's got to be difficult to narrow down. But there definitely are a few that stand out, like Pat, like Mulvaney and whatnot. So 
there are so many people in the city that do amazing things with food across the board. And I think what we tried to do was come up with an idea of what we thought would be an interesting story. And then we would find people that we thought kind of fit those themes. We did some interviews with people beforehand and talked through what we were trying to do and see if their stories kind of fit with what we were hoping to get. And really, we just made a list of names. And we said, these are the people that we're interested in. And the three of us would sit down and talk and go, okay, Patrick Mulvaney, obviously we have to have him in the show because he, to the conversation last night, is kind of the backbone of this city. I had a conversation with him after the premiere. And I mean, the guy just oozes heart and love for this place. Yeah. Um, He's the godfather. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we had to have him. You know, Najina is such a powerful person. Having her, we all miss South. I love her burger. Um, mm. You that know, fried chicken sandwich. Right. She's a force of nature. You got to have her in the show. She's going to say something powerful. And she mm-hmm. does. You know, yeah. some of the most powerful stuff in the show, I think. So I really was, we created a list and it was how many people can we fit? How many can we get? And we made that list and I think everybody that we reached out to said yes. There are people that we wish we could have had. Maybe we can do more, but yeah. So how did you guys then kind of shape the show? Because it sounds like originally it was like, well, maybe we'll just put together an hour doc or something. But obviously you had so much footage and then it's shaped in kind of these really fun, interesting ways. Mm -hmm. We got to see the first three last night. One is the land and... I love how varied it is where it's still it feels sort of all like one doc that's then smartly put into these yeah. little different buckets. How did you guys decide to sort of break it up and edit it together? Yeah. Now that I think about it, I remember we filmed six roundtable discussions. And so every single roundtable discussion was supposed to be a separate episode. Mm-hmm. And then we decided to kind of shrink it all together and bring two roundtables into one episode, which was a challenge in itself because there's so much content. Like we can literally... Put out an eight-hour, dis- whatever, four-hour discussion from start to finish, and there was so much gold in it. Like yeah. everybody, there was no like empty words. It was just like a loaded discussion, lots of funny discussions as well. I mean, like people were, we had to hold our laughs so many times because it was just like the stuff they were saying was ridiculous and fun. And, and you know, then I think Brad mentioned it yesterday. Like it was cool to hear for me because like we we're so in that moment and. Obviously, historically, it was it was a big moment in America and what was happening culturally. And so to hear that, it, that was their escape. And it truly felt like that. It re- they really just came in and chatted for four hours nonstop. And if we didn't tell them to stop, they would probably continue going. Mm-hmm. Some of them actually did continue going. And some yeah. of them like, all right, see you guys. We need to bring the next group. So, yeah, the way we structured it was just this every kind of roundtable discussion had a theme to it, you know, that Cameron was directing and leading chefs to talk about. And so that's how we shaped it. And then we went into every single chef and kind of dug a little deeper into their story, into their behind the scenes and how the restaurants came together, what inspires their food. And so you kind of see that on display in our three episodes where now we brought two roundtables together and miraculously all the themes kind of blended together very well that created these three episodes that you saw yesterday. Now, you guys both said you're not restaurant people. What did you guys learn that you didn't know from restaurants? What surprised you? What, what were some of your reactions? You got some intimate time with some awesome people. And like you said, in, in restaurants when they were empty, so you got to like sit down and talk to the chef with most people never get to do. So elaborate on that. 
So I have a background in restaurants. I, oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's uh, I served at restaurants uh, kind of all over the place in Stockton. I worked in a kitchen in college and cooked for a couple years. I've got scars and burns to look back at. Um, <laughs> I love restaurants. They were like kind of my place. I'm wearing a collared shirt right now, but I was a little skater punk when I was a kid. I listened to punk rock and hip hop and made my mother crazy. But I've kind of grown up, I guess, and restaurants have always been kind of the place for people like that, I think. Meeting these chefs and spending time with them and hearing their stories, it was a cool time. It was special. Like you just said, that's not really something that people get to do a lot of. I had a, a conversation with Elizabeth Rose last night after the premiere and told her that, you know, some of the stuff that these people share in the show is they're big things that they're talking about. They're big themes. They're big ideas. And a lot of people, I think, in this city and other cities look up to people like chefs. They look up to these people who are fighting really hard to do a thing that is very difficult to do. And seeing them being open and honest and talk about stuff like mental health and talk about things like farm workers and how important those people are, that's a big deal, right? That gives people that don't have that access access to hear these stories and to know, like, oh, I can talk about this stuff. It's okay to be a part of this conversation. I'm doing the same things as they are. They're the same as me, right? And it's possible to do more than just be that thing. So that was a very, very cool thing. Yeah, I think for me it was that very first table setup that we filmed at the end of it. We were like, whoa, it's working. Like the idea that we had in our head to have mm -hmm. these like four different chefs who are technically a competition come together at one table and actually be as one, like be a family and seeing it come together and like come out and be like, this is working. This is exactly what we had in mind. And that's what I've learned throughout this whole experience is just like, not just how they operate, but they're just like outside of the restaurant world, they're friends, they're oh, family, yeah. they're helping each other out. You know, obviously Tower Bridge Dinner is a perfect example of camaraderie, everybody coming together and helping each other out. And then I don't think that exists anywhere else. Like that's the cool thing about Sacramento and the culinary scene. And it shows in the show because it is a reality. That was a cool thing for me. I'm see. not going to name names, but there are tons of chefs that would come by Camden on the way home for a beer to chat with Oliver or, or even me mm -hmm. and the other staff and exactly. Brett in the restaurant. Like, again, I'm not going to name names. I don't want to get anyone in trouble here. <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, and one thing that we've talked about and I really noticed, too, was that like prior to 2020, there was competition at Camden. You know, what was Ella selling that night? What was Mulvaney selling that night? Whereas post 2020 now, it's like, no, I want Ella to do well. We, we need these restaurants to do well because the more of them there are, the better off for us. Because no one wants to eat at the same restaurant every night. That's just boring. I love, I mean, I love Camden. Don't get me wrong. But sure. like, go try other places. Go check out Mulvaney's and Ella and Caccio and Bodega and all these other cool places around town. I want to dive in with you, Victor. Since you got to be in Latvia until you were 15, compare food there to here. Because I mean, I feel like being 15, you have some grown up, some re resonating memories. Explain the difference between the two. I mean, I come from a Russian background. My dad was born in Ukraine and moved to Latvia when he was a teenager as well. So even though we were born in Latvia, we all spoke Russian just because it's it was a 60% Russian population, 40% Latvian population. So Russian food was definitely a part of my cuisine for 15 years. And so I like the simplicity of that meal and, uh, you know, raw ingredients. And I think coming here... <laughs> I didn't discover, obviously, as, as a teenager, I didn't discover the, the beauty of Sacramento culinary world until I matured, because mm -hmm. until then it was in and out and, you know, Chick-fil-A and things like that. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing, you know, 
hopefully that's what Breaking Bread does to people too. It just opens the door to see the process and because it should give you an appreciation when you see the plate in front of you, as good as it looks, to see how much work went into it from, you know, it's been mentioned last night from the farmer to the cooks and chefs and everybody involved in the kitchen. And I think that's the cool thing, just like appreciating the food. And so for me, it was just, I think Breaking Bread opened my eyes to a bigger picture of what food could be. And uh, as far as like comparing it to European style of food, I, I didn't really have an opportunity to taste the Michelins and the greats of the European cuisine. So it's only now that I've been here and I, and there's so many moments when we're eating with my wife out here in Sacramento. It's like we had the opportunity to travel the world before we had kids to just really go out there. And the only thing we do when we go out is eat. And so we've been, you know, to some cool places, but you come home here and you eat at, I don't know, Alora, for example, and you just like, this tastes just like it did in Italy. You know, all you need to do is bring some Mediterranean Sea and some seagulls and you're going to have exact same experience. <laughs> it's like the taste wise, it's it's the same and the presentation's the same. And that's like, you can talk about all those amazing restaurants out there and they are, but like we have it here. We're very, very spoiled. You go to some places and you're like, wow, this this was rough. Yeah. It's like, I want to go back home and eat it this so that's the cool thing about Sacramento and I think not a lot of people realize so hopefully as the show gets the eyes the attention that it, it opens people's minds to like yo we got the real stuff over here and you got to taste it so I love what you guys are doing I mean I think that was so clear in the show was that it's not just focusing on the chefs and what they do but it really does a beautiful job of showing how much work goes into that crop that without that there's nothing and and that you guys you know frankly focus a lot on small farmers who are trying to do what they can to really take care of the land and you know i don't want to say do it right but just you know i mean it's sustainable experts organic farming who that stuff takes a lot more care and effort and money and resources and you just it really gives you that appreciation when you watch it to what's on your plate, as well as with the chefs. You mentioned it. We started talking about, we always ask chefs, what's your favorite thing about being a chef in Sacramento? And the two things are the produce and the camaraderie. To the point where we're like, we're probably not going to ask this question anymore because we don't get a unique answer. <laughs> it's the produce and the camaraderie. And you see that. And one of the really beautiful things you guys highlighted was that camaraderie. Because I think so much food media that's chef-focused is very much about the rock star. And I think also there's the stereotype of the like, and the awards. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Right? The rock star, you know, asshole screaming chef in the kitchen. And you could see, you could just see, like, there isn't competition, there's camaraderie, but there's also, yeah, these really intimate conversations about class and about race and about mental health and about all these different things that food media and restaurants have the opportunity to enter these conversations in this natural way where people also eat. And so... Just what else did you learn about Sacramento? What did you learn about these chefs about, you know, I don't know what type of chefs you worked for when you were in restaurants, but did it give you an appreciation for these chefs and sort of their personalities and how they, I think this show will help debunk a little bit of that rock star type A chef who's, it's all about me. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of food media that I see is all competition based. It's all about who's better than the other guy or girl. And this show is the exact opposite of that. It's all about their relationships to each other and to their farmers and to the people that work for them and to the people in the city. 
And so getting to know them was a pretty special deal. Like you said, they're not all type A asshole shouting at each other or whatever. Obviously, you can have a bad day. Sure, of and, course. And, you know, I think everyone that we were working with at the time, restaurants were closed, yeah. right? Like everyone's kind of, ha- how do we survive? How do we keep the lights on? How do I keep my employees on the payroll? What do we do? But I think everyone that was a part of the show really brought their best. They were open with us. They It wasn't really about getting to know like their process or their food necessarily. I think it was getting about getting to know them. Yeah. Um, you know, Deneb and ER are like the goofiest couple on the planet, but they're so cool. ER knows her stuff. Like in the show, she's studying 400 flashcards on the stage of the Guild Theater in Oak Park, and she knows everything by heart. It's like, how do you get that good at that, right? Deneb's food is delicious, but he's also just like the nicest big panda bear. He's a lovely human being. He's also really tall. I don't know if you know that, but he's like 6'5". He's huge. (laughs) So... Yeah, and, and to Greg's point, the goal was to show them. Because honestly, in my opinion, the chefs that we've highlighted, I feel like they're celebrities. Like when you see Billy on a street, like yeah. not behind the counter, like, whoa, that's Billy. But, you know, what the show does and, and, and I think that's who they are is just we want to show them as a person. Every chef that we picked, we wanted to see like, what what is that other thing that they do outside of the kitchen? Like in your situation, we had no idea that she's a tab dancer and not just like a tap dancer. She's like a legit tap dancer. So like, cool, let's show her doing mm-hmm. that. You know, showing another sides of these people was kind of cool. Learning not just how amazing and skillful they are in the kitchen, but also outside of that, their family life, their friends. And, and, and you know, obviously the fishing scene with Billy was, we can talk about that for hours because that was a special moment. But, you know, things like that, just like, whoa, these guys, like literally three chefs, well, two in Bosworth just went out catch some fish and it was cool. So yeah, the human side, I think that's what is cool about the breaking bread. I was like, and that's exactly what we're trying to do here too, is just like, the, who are you? Why are you doing this? Like, right. I think that fascinates me more than how good it, mm-hmm. well, you cook a steak. Like, give me the why, the how, like, where did you learn how to cook the steak? Things like that. Yeah. I think that's a lot of fun. I don't want to say your favorite. What are some of your, your memorable dishes that you got to eat while you were filming this? Uh, Let's see. Najina made us a burger that was pretty crazy. It was like one of the last burgers they made before South closed. And it had like a hot link on it. It had cheese. I, I can't recall exactly what she called it, but it had everything on it. Didn't make the show, but it was unbelievable. Mike from Hawks made us that peach and tomato dish. And the peach that I ate at his restaurant was the best peach I've ever had in my entire life. And I don't like peaches. And now I do. <laughs> So, and hold on, there it is. We have a moment every episode where I'm like, and I'm starving. <laughs> and so, even though it is 11:07 in the morning when we were recording this, I am starving. Sorry, Victor, not to cut you off. Carry no, on. <laughs> it's it. I mean, I was starving last night after watching. Yeah, can you imagine editing this thing? No. Yes. Uh, yeah. Hard. <laughs> Anyways, my favorite dish must be the duck that brat. Oh, that was prepared. so good. It, was because I feel like he had time to really nail it. And uh, when he went into the freezer and took the entire bird and made it look the way it looked, was like, whoa. And I remember we just had a chance to eat it quickly while we were tearing down. It was, it tasted so good. And I'm not, I don't know the ingredients, all this stuff. It just looks good and tastes good and all that matters. 
The other one was actually, we were talking about it the other day. It was at Hawks too. Greg was in the kitchen filming and I was waiting for that final dish to be brought in because we were doing the whole like overhead setup. And uh, But Molly and Mike made us breakfast sandwiches. It was just a homemade biscuit with an egg. And we ate it before we start shooting, and it was probably the best breakfast sandwich I've ever had. All right, they're just showing off now, getting, getting, getting yeah. Michelin-recognized chefs to uh, make Making you a casual breakfast, breakfast no sandwich. Deal, yeah, whatever. It, it was a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's amazing. Is there any, any other unexpected stories that sort of came up, much like the tap dancing story? Chef Q comes to mind where, you know, obviously, he's this amazing chef. He helps open Echo and Rig. He opened Q1227. Basically right before the pandemic, which I knew it opened close, but he talked last night. He opened in December 2019, a gigantic restaurant out in Roseville. And to know that he's how successful he's been, but then I did not know the 60 story. 60 days later. I think yeah. they have 100 seats plus in their yeah. restaurant. It's crazy. It's massive. Oh, my God. And to know how much he has done for the community within his restaurant, was that a story you knew when you first interviewed him? Did that come out during filming and like oh my gosh we have to make sure we highlight this that was a later edition i think he became part of the show and was at the round tables and we got to know him and know his story and their philanthropy kind of came up during those conversations and it was like okay let's see what this actually is and we go there and we meet these people and we see what they're doing and they are it's like it makes me emotional to talk about they're giving food to families that roll up in borrowed cars to get there to get the food they're giving clothes to people. They're taking care of a community. Yeah, and I think I, I love what he said in the show where, you know, my goal with this is that, you know, one day they will be able to go through our doors in a restaurant and buy their own meal. But now we're here to help them. And again, it was in the heart of the pandemic. So there was an extra layer of complications. Yet they were still out there, in some cases, risking their lives doing what they did. And uh, it was truly an honor to capture that moment. I know they've expanded since then you know we we shot this a while back so they've already added you know the numbers are different as far as they are yeah. so that was cool to witness yeah i mean he mentioned last night that they fed sixty thousand families in the time they done it and it's not even just let's donate the money and call it a day he's there yeah handing the food to the people he's not writing a check and going home and kicking mm -hmm. his feet up he's on the ground talking to these people giving them food you know taking care of people so yeah yeah and i think uh, you know another highlight that you asked about is I want to give a shout out to Farmer Mike. I think <laughs> the one that is featured in Ginger's episode. I remember showing up to uh, his farm to scout it out. And as you know, you don't know what he's going to look like. And he shows up and he has these like lime green glasses. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, he's probably going to be the coolest. And he was, he was so chill. And, you know, he's been doing this for years and he's, you know, collecting these olives in, you know, the way Greek we're doing back in the day and it was just so awesome to probably one of my high, uh, favorite segments to to see that farmer mike just doing his thing I with bet. his lime glasses like it was so cool it's yeah. mike and diane from yolo press yeah. out in yolo county they were the, the first breakaway that we filmed so the first segment that we went and shot was with ginger and mike and, and diane and that was a really cool day it was so hot that oh, day was it? that room we filmed in it must have been 110 degrees I was dripping in sweat filming them doing this stuff. And I'm like, please don't melt this chocolate. Like, this has to stay pretty for what we're trying to get done here today. But um, yeah. it was a really, really cool day. It was it was the first time, I think, that I looked at what we were doing. I was like, okay, this is going to work. I think we have this figured out. Like, the three of us are 
fighting tooth and nail to learn how to do this as we're kind of doing it or figure out a better way to do it as we're doing it. And I think that's the day we kind of figured it out. Yeah, it was beautiful. That's such a relieving feeling. Oh my They're God. like, oh my God, this is going to work. Give people an idea of just how much work goes into not just the filming, the idea, and any storyboarding, but then the editing afterwards. You talked about how much film you had. You know, you're cutting these four-hour conversations down to bits and pieces. How much work goes into a project like this? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, it takes it takes a village to put something like this together, right? You know, Breaking Bread came as an idea. came from three people, but it took a village to put it all together. It took Munerser team and some outsourcing that, you know, brought it to life. So from filming to developing an idea and editing was definitely a big one. I, I think we, we were very specific as far as the editing style and making sure we, first of all, include the best of the best and also tell the story that needs to be told. So if I could give you an amount of hours that was spent, it just, it's, I mean, leading up to, you know, the final export, we literally had all-nighters putting things together. And when I say we, we have multiple ed- editors. Mm-hmm. You can see it on credits listed. It's crazy. You know, it's shooting is one thing. It's the editing is the next level. And the biggest challenge was to figure out what we can keep because there was so much good stuff. I'm telling you, like, there's probably... You can do eight more episodes of just the roundtable discussions and maybe eventually we'll release that in some capacity. But that was the hardest part is just like, oh, my gosh, this we need to cut this out. Yes. OK, we'll, we'll save it for later. So that was the biggest challenge. I don't think Victor saw the sun for the better part of three months. Um, he, I mean, he was missing meetings. He was buried. And, you know, I forgot how to function as a human. Like I had to relearn how to communicate with people. Right. But to give you an example, like the the episode with Billy and, and Michael Bosworth, that day was like a 20-hour day. Victor and Cameron got up and drove from Sacramento to Emeryville. We got on a boat at like 6 a.m., went out, went fishing. They caught five or six salmon, went back to the dock, and drove that fish from Emeryville to Michael Bosworth's place and then shot them cooking that salmon and his rice on his back patio. It's like a 20-hour day. Yeah, if you take something like that episode, that segment, and, you know, you have a, a huge production to do it, they would do it in multiple days because it, it's just impossible. Yeah. We didn't have that luxury. We had to do it on one day. And so, yeah, it was, uh, we woke up at 2 a.m. and uh, I got home past 10 p.m. that day. But happy because we got some amazing footage and now it's live. Yeah. Did you get to try some of that salmon? That uh, uh, it was the first time I ever had congee. Okay. And it was the coolest thing. I don't know. It just so like your first congee was from Billy on a back patio with a fresh fish. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually I want to yeah. establish that. It, it was, was a cool moment. Yeah. It was it was it was kind of I think one of the last things we shot too. So it was really kind of a, a culmination of everything we had done up to that point. All the trips and the time and you know, time away from friends and family and our lives, trying to make this thing and seeing them eat the food that they had caught that morning, cooked with the rice they grow in this guy's backyard. Like we could see it from their, his patio, right? That's the show, right? Yeah. That's the whole idea. Yeah, we literally broke bread with them. And it was, yeah, it got to the point that like, stop recording, just sit down, let's eat, let's have a moment. So that was really cool to actually eat with them and like really fresh <laughs> ingredients <laughs> as fresh as it can be was really cool. That was like, okay, this is breaking bread right here. That's amazing. Right on. And if I can, I'd like to shout out. Oh, please. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Anything you want to throw in there? A few, a few people. Um, 
really like this this project did come from Moonraiser Films, but it would not exist without Mike Testa's help. Mike Testa is the CEO of Visit Sacramento, yeah. and he was honestly instrumental in making this a reality. Like I said earlier, we pitched it to him in 2019, and he immediately saw what we were trying to do. And he went and helped fundraise. He was the one that got UC Davis to donate money to produce the show. And so without him, this wouldn't really happen. I want to say thank you to KCRA, Very Local, and My58 for airing the show for us and for putting on last night's event. And then the whole cast and crew, everybody that worked on it, everybody that gave up time from you know their lives, their friends, their family, all that kind of stuff. Amen to that. Uh, rapid fire? Yeah, let's do it. Greg, we'll start with you. What's your favorite cheap guilty pleasure? So it used to be Taco Bell, like we talked about. Not so much anymore. But local stuff here in town, a Willie's Burger all the <sighs> way. I went to a um, watch party for the Kings playoff run this past year. And after the game was over, me and my buddies went and had, I think, two Willie's Burgers each and a big giant Coke and a huge thing of fries. And I woke up next morning and regretted every decision I made. But they're so good. Absolutely. It was kind of funny. You made a comment earlier about doing something at 3 o'clock with you guys. I'm like, is that a.m. or p.m.? And I didn't quite. You said lunch. Okay, it's p.m. Because it could have been either. <laughs> oh, man. Mine is not as fancy as Greg's, but uh, just a bowl of Cheerios. Nice. I like Regular it. or honey nut? Honey nut. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted yeah. to clarify. Need some sugar. Absolutely. What is your favorite food, TV, or movie? TV show or movie? So I saw this question before we started recording, and I literally wrote down a list. So I'm going to give you the list. Oh, you I love can it. Choose to use this or not. Obviously, Chef's Table is like the creme de la creme of food content. I think we've referenced it almost every step of the way for production for Breaking Britain. Mm. Mind of a Chef. It's a, kind of a throwback. Love it's that. Uh, uh, prior to Chef's Table being a thing. Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain, No Reservations, A Cook's Tour, all the stuff that he did. You kind of can't go wrong there. Cooked on Netflix is great. Uh, it's a uh, book. can't remember the guy's name. Michael Pollan. Thank you. Uh, and then movies, it's Big Night, Burnt, Boiling Point, Pig, Jared Dreams of Sushi, Chef. And then these aren't food, but they are kind of creativity-based, which is what I kind of like. Abstract on Netflix, which is a really cool documentary series that I think I looked at and referenced in regards to making this show. And then it's not about food at all, but it's the most apt, I think, metaphor for creativity and that kind of stuff. A Star is Born. It's great. Mm. Love that movie. You just love Bradley Cooper. I I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) How do you have a beard like that? And hair, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to make a list of that, and we're going to put that up for our listeners as, right. as homework. Like, here, here's everything. Pig was wild. It's such a crazy That was movie. a weird movie. Such that was pretty movie. funny. Yeah. All right, anyway, Victor, your turn. Uh, man, I've been buried in post-production on Breaking Bread, so I didn't have a chance to watch TV. So <laughs> when we finally exported the final export, I was like, okay, let's watch something. And I, I turned on The Bear on mm-hmm. Hulu, and I'm like, okay, so that would be my answer, The Bear. It was cool to see because I'm these, you know, Cameron and Greg were watching and they're like, oh, you know, there's this episode that looks cool. And I'm looking, I was like, wow, kind of looks like Breaking Bread. Some of the editing styles. And I was like, cool. We're doing well, something right. Yeah, we're doing something is. right. Yeah. I don't know who's copying who because I haven't seen it technically. <laughs> Favorite spot you want to give a shout out to in Sacramento that's not 
not in Breaking Bread and maybe is a spot people haven't heard. Not one of the spots you're going to consistently read about or know about. So I heard this on your podcast the other day. I was listening to an episode and both of my answers were already in this on the show. So Taqueria Jalisco, 16th mm, and D, yep. their Al Pastor is my favorite in town. Their street tacos Ooh. kill me. I could eat them every day till I die. And then Lola's, their Cuban sandwich crushes. I love it. Awesome. Mine would be a Saturday morning waffle from the mill. Ooh, nice. That's a good Great one. choice. Very precise. Answer, I like that. Yeah. What is a dish from your childhood that you wish you could go back and eat? Or even just go home this afternoon and eat? Yeah. They laugh at me because I'm a big chicken guy. I, uh, at some point, actually had a list of the best chicken sandwiches in town. And uh, South was on the top for a while before the close. But just a basic chicken meal with some potatoes, some basic cucumber and tomato salad. That's all I need. Mm. Simplicity. I like yeah. it. My answer. Uh, let's see here. So I have two. My mother raised four boys. I have, I have three brothers. So feeding us was like feeding ravenous hyenas. Yeah. So it was always like pots of whatever she could get her hands on just to put something down our face to get us to be quiet. But on our birthday, she used to make a stromboli, which is sort of like a calzone. It's like a pizza dough folded over and you got peppers and salami and cheese and all that kind of stuff. That was a big one. And then my dad's barbecue. Um, mm. He used to grill and made a barbecue sauce that recipe I, I know by heart. I know the smell. But those are the two answers I got for you. That's awesome. Those are outstanding answers. That was such an awesome interview. You could really see the passion these two guys, you know, Greg, as we learned, worked in restaurants as well, but Victor, who hadn't. And I could really see the love and care they really took on presenting these stories and showing us what's going on in this valley and really appreciating the restaurants and chefs and what they do. Yeah, and I mean, what a cool moment. He worked so hard behind the scenes to bring something to the screen, and you could feel their excitement and the love they got at the premiere last night at the Crest Theater, which had, you know, nearly 700 people were there, and there was whooping and cheering and laughing, and it was really fun, you know, as two guys who were working on a much less creative, but a creative endeavor nonetheless, in food media, to see what they've done was really inspiring, and it was, it was great to talk to them. And the feeling that knowing your idea worked, has it just feels so good to know that something you so much put so much time and effort and passion into. And like in your head, it sounds good. We've all been there. That idea that sounds good rattling around your head, then it comes out of your mouth and it's crazy. But to see that it actually works and people enjoy it, it just, it's so gratifying. Absolutely. So check out Breaking Bread. You can watch it on KCR3. Check out their schedule to know when it's airing. You can also download the very local app which you can do on any streaming stick or device or smart TV you have at home. Do that and do me a favor. Watch it. Don't watch it on your phone. I mean, if you have to watch it on your phone, watch it on your phone. But this is meant to be seen. The cinematography of this is amazing. So watch it on your big TV if you can. Enjoy it that way. We'll put a link to the very local app in the show notes. We'll put a bunch of links in the show notes for this to make sure that you can figure out how to watch Breaking Bread if you miss it on KCRA3. If only we had smell vision Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dine One Six. We hope you go watch Breaking Bread. Reach out to us and let us know what you think. You can hit us up on Instagram, at Dine One Six is the handle. If you listened to this episode and liked it, please share it with people. Let everyone know about Breaking Bread. Let everyone know about the Dine One Six. 
easiest way to share is just send them our website, dine16.com. They can listen right from there. They can subscribe to whatever podcast apps they want from the links there as well. And share this out, man. Share Breaking Bread. This is highlighting Sacramento in so many ways that you just don't get to see otherwise. And this is something they want and Neil and I want the entire country to see because it is highlighting what is happening here in Sacramento and the special thing we've got going in the culinary community. So check it out. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Dine One Six. As always, our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine One Six is a production of the Hear Me Now studio in Citrus Heights, California. And until next time, as always, eat something you love with someone you love.